All right. Well, how many heard Pastor Tim's message from last week? If you did not have an opportunity to join us, uh, go back and listen to, to that message about what it means to be salt and light, and it'll rock your world just a little. By little, I mean a whole lot. And today we're going to continue talking about this, uh, this uh, Sermon on the Mount, which is like, mm-hmm, that's all I got. It's just, mm-hmm, that's what it is. And so today I thought I would start out and I would go really, really deep. Is that okay if we hit deep, like first thing, is that okay? All right, now when I say this word, probably the anointing is going to fall even more. Something special is going to happen. You ready? Bacon. I know, you felt that, didn't you? You felt it. And that, this is where my mind goes sometimes, so be on the trip with me this morning. Because it goes to some, <laughs> some funny places. But if you've looked at the scriptures and you've said to yourself at all, if you've studied the word of God, you said, should we be eating bacon? Does the Bible say it's okay to eat bacon? And there's a point to this, so bear with me. <laughs> People are like, I can't wait to see what this is. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 1 and 3 and 7 says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites of all the animals that live on the land, these are the ones that you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and choose the cud. There are some that only chew the cud and only have divided hoof. You must not eat, you must not eat them. And the pig... Though he has a divided hoof, does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. you. You must not eat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. So how many sinners do we have in the room today? Let's just checking. Just the, the, the point is this. Here's the point. Is that when we look at the Old Testament, there are things that were applicable in the Old Testament. That was part of what we called the law. And so now as it transfers into the new covenant, we're going to get into all this stuff. So this is going to be clear by the time we walk out of here today. But this is going to be, this is something where that was cool, but then Jesus. And Jesus was the catalyst that was the game changer. And we're going to see why. And can we agree that the Bible is, can be sometimes a difficult book? Anybody get beat up by their Bible? Just check it, because it smacks me upside the head on the daily, and that's for real. See, a lot of times, I used to, when I attended this small Pentecostal church up in Canada, I always had this one lady that always said, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And that was the go-to on everything. It's like, are you going to, where do you want to eat today? Well, the Bible says it. The Bible talks about Wendy's? What? Where is that? Give me that holy 444 four, four and we'll call it good. See, the thing is, is that I don't know how helpful that is for people because we do believe the word of God, but let's be real. I'm going to have me some bacon. However, the Old Testament decided to resonate that I like me some bacon. Amen, Amen Marcus. <laughs> Got to get me some of that. Because we probably have had, I mean, I might... When I preach and when I talk, it's probably most times it's because you get to sit in on what God is saying to me. So it's like you get to sit in on my personal devotional time, which can be really, really cool, or it could be super awkward sometimes. So enjoy the journey. Ready? 
Anybody ever had somebody say to this, well, you shouldn't do that because the Bible clearly says fill in the blank, right? Many of, many of us have maybe taken the studying of scriptures and sometimes we walk away scratching our heads going, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with this. Has it ever happened to someone? And if you've thought that, you're not alone. If you're going on to college, if chances are there's going to be some type of professor that's going to throw a Bible in your face and say, the Bible says that you shouldn't eat bacon. Do you eat bacon? And I will say proudly, praise the Lord, yes, I do. <laughs> See, the question is, did God just recently decide that he wanted us to be happy? I have brought forth the bacon. It is for you now. Did he change his mind? No. Does he think now that it's delicious and that we should eat it? Did we change or did the scriptures change? Because we believe that here at Life Church, one of our core values is that we are people of the word. Amen? And here's what I, I think that we kind of do ourselves a disservice sometimes by not being honest about how difficult it is to be people of the word. We maybe underestimate how the intent and how our intentionality needs to be taken up a notch in order to be people of the word. Because you can't just put this thing on your head and think it's going to soak in. I tried that in college. It did not work once. My GPA proved that. But that's another story. And it's a very short one, so don't worry about it. You're not missing much, I'll tell you. So let's just look at this, this idea that the Bible says that I believe it and that settles it. And that we should just do it all. But here's the kicker. We don't. We don't do everything the Bible asks us to do, right? Have you thought ill of someone? Fail. Instead of telling somebody that if they cut you off in traffic and the first thing that crosses your mind is not God bless you, fail. Right? Pastor Tim always used the, the thing where people jump in and they cut me off. I, I will say sometimes, welcome into my river. May the Lord bless you today. I just want to come clean. That is not always the case. Sometimes you just wish the car would go down in the river and just get out of my way. I'm just being honest. If I'm in a, if I'm in a hurry, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing. We might push back and go, okay, maybe I'm not going to really apply the Old Testament because the Old Testament is kind of old news. It doesn't mean much to us today. But I'm gonna, I'll do everything I can to stay in the New Testament. See, that's the flawed lens that we look through. If we're not looking at the complete scripture, we are missing the complete picture. Because the Old Testament is all setting the world up for the arrival of Jesus, and the New Testament is the arrival of Jesus. There are over 330 prophecies about the coming Jesus in the Law and the Prophets. Wow, that must have been such a coincidence that there was 330 of them. No coincidence. It's very, very intentional. So, because we have a lens that we read Scripture through sometimes. Sometimes we read Scripture through our baggage. Sometimes we read Scripture through our culture. 
And even in the same passages sometimes, we pick and choose what we want to apply and what we want to believe, and we pick what we don't want to. That's not the way the Word of God works. It's either you believe it all or you can't have it all. Amen? So that's, we have to keep that in mind. So now that we've established that we're jacked up, <laughs> what we're going to lack today is the way that Jesus read the Scriptures. Which we can all agree, if we follow the way of Jesus, we should probably read the Bible in the same way that Jesus portrayed it. Because if we want, your opinion doesn't mean anything. This does. This is what takes us to where we need to go. And last week, we're going we're gonna to take a deeper, pass, deeper look at the passage that Cody came up and read for us. So we're going to read it in its entirety, Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20. So let me remind you of what Cody read, and then we're going to take it a bit further. It said, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, even until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least, the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Burn. Let that soak in, just not too long. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to talk about three things that we're going to take away from this passage today. The first one is that Jesus came to clear the air. See, you look at the very first part. Of verse 17, it says, don't misunderstand why I have come. Now, why does Jesus have to say this? Because Jesus has been misunderstood his whole time on earth. People misunderstood him all the time. Like, let's be real. Jesus used some phraseology and some stories that were probably the disciples were like, so... So don't eat bacon. When you're studying this, when you study the passages, when especially when it's Jesus and the disciples, I can't help but be frustrated for Jesus. Because good Lord, how many times did he have to repeat things to these people? How many? When are you guys going to grasp this? Right? It's pretty amazing. See, misunderstanding is a part of life. But the other flip side is that much of laughter of life is due to our misunderstandings, right? I read a story about a young man who was sitting at the table with his family. And he sat there and he looked at him and he said, Mommy, which virgin was Jesus' mother? Was it the Mary virgin or the King James virgin? Just one word got flipped, and the misunderstanding just flowed, right? One thing got flipped. Much of humor is based on misunderstanding another person's meaning. There was a judge one time that asked the accused, have you ever been up before me? And the accused replied, well, I don't know, judge, what time do you get up? I know, I know. You'll be driving home. <laughs> 
what time did you get up? It's okay. When they're coming at you, just listen to one, grab another one, and put it in your pocket. Because then later on, you're going to pull it out of your pocket, and then you have a treat. You're like, (gasps) (laughs) King James Virgin. I got it. And if misunderstanding is limited to jokes, it would be an enjoyable aspect of life. Unfortunately, it is not limited to jokes. Even when it leads to something funny, it can be terribly embarrassing for the one who misunderstands or the one who misunderstands. I remember at my youth group, we had a thing called a youth group council. We had treasurer, secretary, and all that. And she was new, and they said, okay, I need you to, uh, I need you to write down the minutes for our meeting today. Nobody explained minutes to this young lady. Nobody explained anything to her, actually. And so she said, everybody, do you have the minutes? She said, yes, I do. And so it came time for the next meeting. They said, could you please read us the minutes? Sure. Our last meeting was 22 minutes and 36 seconds. (laughs) Yeah, but what else? Oh, you said to keep track of the minutes. Done. Nailed it. Nobody explained, right? But at the risk of making her feel inadequate, people got a kick out of it. And sometimes there's a major problem in communication because words can have more than one meaning. And it's so easy to take words literally that are not meant that way. There's a young boy that went to a birthday party at their neighbor's house. When he came home, the mother says, did you say thank you to the neighbors for having you over for the party? And the boy says, well, no, because I was waiting in line to say thank you. The girl in front of me said thank you, and the mother said don't mention it, so I didn't. And so I came home. You see, a lot gets lost in translation, right? A lot gets lost in what we're talking about. One of the most major problems that Jesus had in living the life of a man is that he was often and always misunderstood. Even his disciples that walked with him every single day of his ministry didn't understand Jesus sometimes. Like, they didn't get it. You know, they're sleeping, and while he slept and agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane, they're taking a nap. They didn't grasp what, they try, what he tried to teach them. It took them a minute or a year. And in their misunderstanding, they even tried to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. You can't mess with destiny, especially when it comes to what God had. The Pharisees are another bird altogether. They misunderstood Jesus completely. Why? Because the way that they did things was immediately being threatened by a man who was showing people how to live life, not telling them how to live life. That was the biggest difference. Because the Pharisees were like, do as I say, don't do as I do. And Jesus is like, do as I say, and I'm going to show you how to do it. That was the difference. And when people... When their toes get stepped on, which sometimes happened at church, when toes get stepped on, people retaliate. Probably in a most not a healthy way. See, he, they thought that he was a lawbreaker and the one who was defying the God of Israel. They did not see his love as, as compassion for the sinner as good news. They saw his association with sinners 
and his violation of the Sabbath by healing on that day, the action of a rebel, not a redeemer. They totally, under, they totally misunderstood Jesus and his mission. Especially when Jesus would say audacious claims like, destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. Wait, wait. That thing took decades. Three days. <laughs> what are you going to call extreme makeover temple edition? What? I don't even know that's a thing anymore, but we're going to go there. Even Nicodemus asked Jesus, what must I do to be born again? Do I need to go back into my mother's womb? That's an awkward conversation. And that's, but that's where people go because some, a lot of times, even as us as believers, we use the language when we're trying to talk to people about Jesus, and we're like, what? Right? Are you washed in the blood? Gross. What is happening here? Right? We use a language that's completely different, but we have to remember, don't misunderstand Jesus. That's all I can say. He did not come to destroy the law. And in him saying that, he acknowledges that he had already been misunderstood. So then the flip side of this is that what did Jesus do? He actually, point two, is that he came to accomplish and not abolish. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to fulfill. Because people were thinking at this point, okay, Jesus, we're just listening to your teachings and you did those beatitude things. And uh, it sounds like you're coming to do just what you said you weren't coming to do. Because he was completely flipping the script. He was completely changing the narrative of what people had been listening to and people, what they had been part of. All of a sudden, there's the broken will be blessed, those who mourn will be comforted, the persecuted will have the kingdom. This does not sound like the rest of the Bible, Jesus. But here's what the law represented. The law for Jesus simply meant the Torah, which is the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. And for us today, that's what we believe to be the first five books of our Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And unfortunately, when we hear this word law, we think of a list of rules and a list of commands that we've got to sort of check off and that we've got to do, right? Like when we say, oh, I have a to-do list. Oh, man, you know what I'm talking about. The honey-do list, and you better get that honey done. I'm just saying. But for the Hebrews in Jesus' day who followed Yahweh, this was not a list of do's and don'ts. It was a covenant. It was love. It was God on display in their midst, moving to be good towards them and shower his love down on them. See, Jesus' point here is that you think I came to abolish this? The picture painted that by that word is to take a yoke, you know, the thing they put on an ox, and then he pulls the plow through the field. It's to actually take that off to unhinge, to, dis, to disconnect. Jesus says, you think, he says, you think, based on my teaching, that I'm disconnecting everything that happened between Genesis and Malachi. You think that has nothing to do with anything, but that has everything to do with why I'm here. See, he says, I came to fulfill. And it's the Greek word, pleru. Is that right? I'm going to go with pleru. 
It means to fill to absolute capacity. Picture a pitcher of water with more water being poured into it, filling it all the way to the top and then to overflowing. It means to take to an appointed destination. As if to say the Old Testament only got us so far, but Jesus says, I'm taking us to the point that the Old Testament always pointed to. Jesus arrives to point the direction to where they were heading. Jesus wasn't disconnecting. He's painting in color what the Old Testament was talking about from the get-go. And that's a beautiful picture. As N.T. Wright put this, he said, when he spoke of the scripture needing to be fulfilled, he was thinking of the entire storyline at last coming to fruition uh, and of an entire world of hints and shadows now coming to plain statement and full light. That's beautiful. Because Romans chapter 10, verse 4 says this, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. So when Jesus says Sabbath, he's really pointing to himself. He's painting a picture of what this always intended to be. There wasn't supposed to be this disconnect. It was to be a continuation. See, Jesus didn't come to discard the Jewish scriptures, but he came to display their intent. The Old Testament was the gospel in bud, and the New Testament was the gospel in bloom. Jesus was the law with skin on. He showed up in his earth suit, and he was a game changer. Jesus is the law and the prophets in living color. If the nation of Israel could have lived out the scriptures perfectly, it would have looked like Jesus. It all would have looked like Jesus. And he puts it on display, and he doesn't discard it. See, all the Old Testament scripture passages, commands, are all intended to do something to us. They're inclined to shape us, to form us, to form the nation of Israel into a nation that would be characterized by freedom, by love, and by justice. Isn't that beautiful? I pray those things for our country, that we would be shaped into those things that God desires for his kids. Galatians 3, 19 to 25 says this. It says, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement, but God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us a new life, it could be made right with God by obeying it, but the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our, gar was our guardian until Christ came. 
It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that we have the way of faith has come, we, know no, we no longer need the law as our guardian. So then what did Jesus do? What did he do? To, what did he come to do? This is for all my gamer nerds. Jesus came to level us up. Jesus came to take us to the next level. You see, there are two simple commands that, well, I say simple. Let's be real. Matthew 20 tweet, 22, I, wow, 20 tweet. Somebody tweet that, 20 tweet. Yikes. Matthew 22 verses 37 to 40 says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. As if to say, if you were to take those two commands completely out, but kept everything else, you would miss the entire point of it all. Isn't that crazy? Everything that happened would pivot upon this. I want you to picture the Old Testament as somebody who's learning a new instrument. Or maybe somebody who's learning to speak a new language. When you're learning a new instrument, one of the things you do is to learn the chords. You learn the notes, and then you start practicing scales. If you're a musician, you know that those things in, are inside and out. If you're learning a new language, you're pounding flashcards, right? Okay, what was that? What was that? You're using the flashcards. And this is what vocab word means. This is how to parse those verbs. This is how the language works. And if you're learning an instrument, the goal of the instrument is not to play the scales. Music could be really boring. I mean, did you, did you hear the way he played that C scale? Dude, the way he emphasized on the E, shifting to the F. Man, something happened in my heart. If everything was the same, it would kind of, hmm, you know. And that's hard for me because I'm a musical person. I may have probably some of the most eclectic playlists ever because sometimes you just go there. You make a fun playlist, and you're like, I forgot about that song. It's beautiful. But the point of learning an instrument is not to play the scales. The goal of learning vocab is not just to know vocabulary, is it? The goal of learning the scales is so that eventually you can grab a guitar, sit down at the piano, or you can play music. Music that is beautiful, music that invites others to join in. The goal of learning vocab, learning how to parse all those verbs, the goal of learning all that is not so that you would know how to do it, but that you can have conversation with somebody and that you can converse. In the same way, I think Jesus is saying the goal of the Old Testament wasn't just to nail a bunch of commands to get them down. The goal of the Old Testament, the law, the commands, the prophets was to teach us how to live. And he's saying, I'm putting this all on display for you. We're moving from scales to music. We're moving from vocab to conversation. When you live it all out, here's what it looks like. And he puts his life on display. So for you and I to see, saying, let's sing. Let's talk. Let's make music. Let's live into the fullness of our humanity that God has designed us to live. That was his goal. His goal so that we were all speaking 
his language, not our own. But see, on the flip side, Jesus does this thing by giving us a directive to also not live by. (laughs) Here comes the toes. Matthew 5, 19 and 20. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. For the people in Jesus' day to be thought to be less than righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees, how is that possible? They're the holiest people that we know. It's kind of like in today's language, uh, if you're not holier than Billy Graham, going down, right? If that's your level of <laughs> righteousness, when, you, when I think of Billy Graham, I'm like, Billy Graham was an absolute rock star for the kingdom of God. Although rock, Billy Graham was not a rock star. He just was obedient, and he helped people meet Jesus. He fulfilled his mission and his passion beautifully. How can we be more righteous than them? And here's the thing. Pastor Tim said this in our pre-prayer service today and actually resonated with me last night, and there's this verse that says that obedience is better than sacrifice. When we sacrifice things on our life and we have to tell everybody about our sacrifice, it's no longer sacrifice. It's pride. That's the thing that the Pharisees enjoyed doing. Look at me in my beautiful robe as I sit at front in the temple and do my thing. I'm so eloquent and fabulous. But yet I think about a person who has a beautiful house and Jesus lived in the whole house, but then quietly moved Jesus to what we call the good room. That's the room right in front that has the big window in front and everybody can see. And that's the one room that they kept in order. Man, do you see, their, you see the good room? It's beautiful in there. Their house must be amazing. But yet the rest of the house is in shambles. See, that's the way the Pharisees lived their life. As long as things looked good through the good window into the good room, things were fine. But it was only one room. And the only room that they should have been worrying about was the room in their heart. But their pride and their stubbornness and their selfishness got in the way. And Jesus is like, don't be like them. That's the life that will jack you up. Yes, but I can quote scriptures like crazy. Yeah, but that's only one room. Yeah, but I go out and I do this in my community. Awesome, but that's one room. What would it look like if we allowed Jesus to come into our lives and he brings this person called the, the, the best contractor of every, of every single moment of time called the Holy Spirit, and we allowed them to come in and renovate our homes like they should, 
And all of a sudden, our home is not just the good room, but it is the good house where the presence of the Lord resonates and lives and reaches our communities and does things amazingly in and through us. That wasn't in the notes. Thank you, Lord. I'll bypass that part because that was better than what I had written. You see, Jesus came and he was imploring with people that a transformed internal life was more important than a conformed external life. You see, the Pharisees played a good game. They played church very, very well. But Jesus came and says, playtime's over. I'm here and I'm about my father's business. And we're going to change the world. I'm here to level you up. So as we love God and we love people, it is an absolute fulfillment of what the Old Testament was ushering in and preparing us for when Jesus showed up. Isn't that crazy? So if somebody says, well, the Old Testament isn't relative today. Really? You know that whole thou shalt not kill thing? Yeah, it still plays well today. Still pretty good. You should have no other gods before you. Sweet. Let's do that. Right? So as we wrap up today, let me talk three quick statements. It, must be, it is a must that we understand our Lord's relationship with the old law. It is a must that we understand that the old law has been fulfilled and that we are no longer under the old law. Because Jesus came and changed the narrative for everybody. And the last thing is that it is a must that we understand that we must be obedient to God's law. See, that doesn't mean this is irrelevant. This means this is so much more powerful in our lives. See, Jesus' intention over your life is to shower his love down on you in such a way that it changes you from the inside out. When you start to say, not only do I want to execute the law, but I want to become the type of person who's comfortable in God's kingdom in relationship with God. I want to live in the light of, of who he says I am in the wholeness, the peace, and the love that he designed for me. That's what this whole story's been all about. Can we be people of the word? Can we be? Jesus was pretty fond of scripture. I'm just saying. He liked it a lot. We should be too. And we need to read the scriptures through the lens of Jesus and learn together to live by the way of his love. And I see so many of you guys doing that, and you're doing it well. So well done and keep it up. So what might this look like for you to practice this week? Maybe there's somebody in your life that's different than you, disagrees with you. I did this completely radical thing. I was on social media the other day, and I saw somebody's comment that I did not agree with. Guess what? I scrolled on, and it didn't even hurt. Thank you. Nailed that. Because ain't nobody got time for that. If we got time to argue, then we got time to go tell somebody about Jesus. I'm just saying. See, the invitation from Jesus is love in a way that he fulfilled the law.
And for everybody who might be in this room that you're worn out, you're beat, you're going through some stuff, I want you to invite you to be encouraged this morning. To know that Jesus sees you and he wants to meet you and he wants to fill you. Is it okay if I pray a blessing over you guys this morning? As I pray, Pastor Tim's going to come and wrap us up. Let's pray. To God, I pray a blessing over this family today. God, I pray that your word and your Holy Spirit would invade our hearts, would invade our lives. It would invade every aspect as we lay all of our presuppositions and we lay all our opinions and all our ideas down and we lay them at your feet so you can take control today, God. We know that you did not come to make us comfortable and complacent like the Pharisees, but you came to make us complete. God, thank you for doing that. Lord, we come to you believing that this whole story has always been about your goodness, your peace, your love, and your invitation to us to live in the light of who you are. And we want to do that. So, Lord, teach us what it looks like to look through the word through your lens and to live your way. And we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen.